been this week. Yes. Lost in his presence. When I say lost in his presence, I mean I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. Yes, the Bible said to be in his presence is fullness of joy. Amen. You try to stay too involved in the world. It, it kind of torments me. Grieves my spirit. I've avoided politics at all costs. I don't watch the news lately. I'm trying to stay in the good news. That's right. Amen. That is Jesus saves. Whatever's wrong, he makes it right. That's right. If there's a lost person, he can save them. If there's a sick person, he can heal them. That's right. If there's a hungry person, he'll fill them. I don't know any better news than that. I'm not denying reality. Like Brother Steve said, this world's ripe for judgment. I know it's coming soon. But if I get caught up in that, how lost the world is, how evil and how wicked the world is, that they're full of the devil, that they lie every breath, that they commit wickedness and ungodliness, there's not really a whole lot I can do to change them except share with them who Jesus is right. and pray that God will open their eyes to the truth. Right. So getting lost in his presence is a place I want to be. That's right. Amen. Amen. We'll stay there long enough. He'll change us. That's right. Make us all together like he is. Amen. That's my heart's desire. Amen. Say happy birthday to Sister Brandy today. Her birthday. Hope she had a good day. We're going to read tonight out of the book of Genesis, chapter number three, verse number one. We'll allow Sister Pam, her class, to be dismissed. Genesis chapter three, verse number one is where we'll begin reading. familiar text. I won't read or preach anything probably you haven't heard before, but I just feel like this is where God wanted to take us tonight. Genesis 3, beginning with verse number 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. I, I want to share with you uh, tonight 
Uh, it's a thought that I'll never preach all of it tonight, but I want to talk about Satan's strategy for your life. I, you know, I don't want to talk about the Democrats' strategy of how they're trying to destroy America. And they're, they're working it. Uh, I, I feel like to a T. I feel like oh, yeah. all of the budget bills that they're passing, we're going to spend $2 trillion on this, $2 trillion on this, and another trillion on this. The debt's up to $30 trillion now. Somebody said they're ignorant. No, they're doing exactly what what they have devised and what they have planned, and that is to break the current system and to start over with some kind of global reset. I don't know if it's going to be a cryptocurrency. I'm not I'm not deep enough into the into the current minds that know political strategy and all that stuff, but I do feel like I. I know Satan's strategy. That's right. That's right. What he has devised. The Bible said we're not ignorant of his devices. That's right. Amen. So I just want to kind of pull the cover off what I feel like he's trying to do in people's lives. And I hope it will better prepare you to stand against him and fight him yes. with the Lord's power. Satan's strategy for your life. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. I pray, Lord God, that you'll open our eyes that we'll see, our ears that we'll hear, and our hearts that we'll receive. God, you know every need in this house tonight. I know that you're able to meet them all through Christ by his riches and glory. So I pray you'll come down and touch us around this altar tonight as we together seek your face. And that you won't allow us to leave unmoved or unchanged or unstirred, oh God, but you'll change us from glory to glory as we behold you. Oh, God, that you'll make us all the more like you. Grant it, we pray, and we ask it together in Jesus' name. Yes. If you love him, would you say amen? Some of the things I want us to look at when we talk about Satan's strategy uh, for our life or against our life, rather, is we're going to view Satan on at least four different fronts. Satan the deceiver. Satan the destroyer, Satan as a ruler, and Satan as the accuser. Four different people in the Old Testament had a direct confrontation with Satan. From their experiences, we can learn four major things that I feel like God showed us from the Scripture. Number one, Satan's target. Number two, Satan's weapon. Number three, Satan's purpose. And lastly, and my personal favorite, Satan's demise or destruction. There's one important thing as believers that I want us to remember as we study on this thought. We're not fighting to obtain victory because victory is ours. Christ gave you victory over Satan. We're fighting to defend and enforce the victory that belongs unto every child of God. Colossians 1 and 13 says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. So I'm delivered from the power 
of darkness. In Colossians 2 and 15, he said, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Spoiled means uh, to take from or to rob, if you will. Jesus took from Satan all of his power. As far as the believer goes, Satan has been stripped. He has no power over you. In John chapter 12 and verse 31, he said, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. The prince of the world, the prince of the power of the air and the God of this world has been judged, he has been spoiled, yes. he has been stripped, yes. he has been made powerless. Yes. That it, somebody said, well, how can the devil be doing all that he's doing? It's when people empower him. That's right. They give him power. He's a thief. He's a robber. The thief cometh not but for to steal. Amen. He will take what you allow him to take. When we won't pray, then he takes power from us. When we won't study the word of God and allow God to speak to us, then he takes wisdom and knowledge from us. When we forsake assembling together, when we fail to worship God, then he takes strength and victory and joy from our life. The Bible said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Revelations 12 and 11, that's what it says. They overcame him. Let's go on to victory as we look at Satan the deceiver. In John 8 and 44, he said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, whenever Satan tells you something, the opposite of it is likely to be the truth. If he tells you you're defeated, it's because he knows you're victorious. If he tells you you're not going to make it, that's because he knows that with Christ you will make it. If he tells you that God doesn't love you, you can rest assured that God loves you. Amen. Amen. If he tells you you're going to die, that you can't get well, that uh, you, you'll you never be healed, uh, you're probably very close to a miracle. Yes. Revelation 12 and 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him in Second Corinthians 11 and 3, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve or deceived Eve through his subtlety, so your mind shall be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The word simplicity there doesn't mean, you know, simple like two plus two equals four, and that's very simple. That uh, the simplicity that is in Christ, that means the singularity. Is what the word simplicity there means in the Greek. 
the singularity that is in Christ, that you will be removed from having your eyes focused singularly on Jesus Christ. That your heart would be removed from your heart being in love singularly with Jesus Christ. He wants to divide your attention. He wants to divide your devotion. In John 1, in verse 7, for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. As the deceiver, I want us to look at the first of his four strategies. As Satan the deceiver, Satan's target is your mind. When Satan wants to or wanted to lead the first man and woman into sin, he started by attacking their mind. And that was made clear in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3. I, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. How does he draw you or distract you or deceive you from the singularity of Jesus Christ uh, in your mind. Good. Why would Satan want to attack your mind? Because your mind is where God communicates with you and reveals his will yeah. unto you. The Bible has a lot to say about your mind. In Colossians 3 and 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created in him. The new man that is renewed in knowledge. Where do you attain and store and receive knowledge? In your mind. In Ephesians 4 and 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye hence Fourth, walk not as other Gentiles walk. How do the other Gentiles walk? In the vanity of their mind. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is, is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or the former lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. In Romans 12 and 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God renews our life by renewing our mind. And he renews our mind through his word. His truth. Amen. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. What happens when you 
read and study and give devotion to the word of God, he is renewing your mind. A man will pattern himself, desire, crave, and ultimately become what he is constantly and always beholding. You are what you eat. If you take in that that is unclean or unhealthy, that is what you will become and you will die. But if you take it in what is clean and whole and healthy, you will become healthy and strong and vibrant. Uh, uh, that is uh, true naturally, but it is also true spiritually. As you give yourself to the word of God, the writer said in the book of Psalms uh, that it is health uh, to all of his bones. In other words, this word of God is renewing, it is reviving, it is strengthening power to my being. The word actually renews your mind. Do you know that uh, the church, the rapture church, uh, will have been washed by the water of the word? Do you know that when you read and study and devote your heart and your life and your mind to the word of God, that it is Washing your mind, cleansing your Amen. mind, and renewing your mind. Amen. Good yes. It's like a, I, I heard Brother Tim describe the, the word and its cleansing power like a, a, a colander or a, or a sieve as you, you know, put maybe cut up potatoes and you put them in there. You put them under the sink and you just washing those off, the dirt off of those potatoes. and It's not holding any water. The sieve is not. It's letting all the water drain out. But what it's also doing is letting what's in the sieve be cleansed and washed and purified. When you read and study and devote your heart and mind to the word of God, you may not retain. Listen, I'll be 50 in August. And I can't retain every chapter and verse. There's a lot of them stored up in there. And under the anointing, that chapter and verse uh, will come a lot of times. But just off the top of my head, even though I read it all the time, 66 collected volumes uh, into one book called the Bible, I might, I might not be able to recount uh, and tell you where chapter and verse uh, is, but I want to tell you this. Uh, over 27 years uh, of reading it, uh, studying it, uh, being diverse uh, into it, uh, uh, I, I want to tell you it has uh, cleansed, uh, it has washed, uh, it has made new my mind, the way I see, the way I hear, the way I think, uh, the way I live is all Sculpted, molded, shaped, and patterned. Amen. That new man is sculpted through a new mind. That's good. Satan can get you to believe a lie, then he he can begin to work in your life to lead you into a path of sin. That's why he will attack your mind, and that's why we must protect our mind. From his attack. Philippians 4 and 8. Finally brethren. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. 
Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Settle your mind on the things that will build you up, that will purify your life and your heart, and that will promote the righteousness and godliness in your life. If you are thinking on impure things, uh, evil things, uh, hateful things, uh, it will shape and pattern your life. Amen. If it's not true, Paul writes, don't let it enter yeah. into your mind. Yeah. In recent years, science has discovered many fascinating things about the human mind. Like a computer, your mind can store facts and impressions, even emotions and then recall on them years later. Your mind can reach into the past through memory or it can reach into the future through imagination. Your thinking will then affect your feeling and your will. In Proverbs 23 and 7, you know this verse, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Somebody said, the little engine said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. He's encouraging himself to make it up to the top of the hill. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If a man believes he can, he will. Amen. Somebody might say, like Thomas Edison, how did it feel, sir, to fail 1,000 times? He said, I didn't fail. I invented the light bulb. I didn't fail, he said, but what I can tell you is 1,000 different things that will not work as a filament in a light bulb. Right. But you only fail when you believe you can accomplish what you're after. Amen. Satan knows the incredible power of your mind, so he tries to capture your mind and have it for himself. In Isaiah 26 and 3, he said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Romans 8 and 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So there is a battle being waged for your mind. And I would tell you, as long as you will give it to Christ and keep it in the word, your mind is off limits to him. But I can tell you, these devices or these devices or a laptop or PC, anything linked to the internet, one click, he can poison your mind. Let's look next at, at, at Satan the deceiver, his weapon. His target is your mind, but his weapon are his lies. Satan came to Eve as the serpent, the subtle deceiver. In Revelation 12 and 9, again, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. 
And then again he told, Jesus told the Pharisees that they were of their father, the devil. He said when he speaks a lie, he speaks his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. It's important that you notice the steps that Satan took in getting Eve to believe a lie. Number one, he questioned God's word. You have to settle in your mind God's word is the authority in your life. It's not up to me to question God's word. I understand a two-year-old, when you tell them to do something, the first words out of their mouth is going to be, but why? Because this is the way we have to do it, but why? But why do we have to do it that way? But why do we need to do this? Why do I need to wear my seatbelt? Why? Do I need to get dressed to go outside? Why do I have to go to school? Why do I need to eat, you know, vegetables? Why can't I just have ice cream and candy all the time? Why? It is in human nature to question why because the human nature is a fallen nature. It is a degenerate Nature, but when we are born again, one of the first things God puts within us is His Word, is His authority. His Word is His law. His Word can never change or be altered. Genesis 3 and 1 the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He did not deny that God had spoken. He simply questioned whether God had really said what Eve thought God said. Perhaps you misunderstood what God meant. And that's why there are a thousand different versions of the Bible. With that suggestion, Satan is questioning God's goodness. To mankind. If God really loved you, he would not have put a limit uh, on which tree you could eat of in the garden. He would have let you have it all. He tried the same approach upon Christ when he came to him in the wilderness. If you are God's beloved son, then why are you going hungry? Why are you being made to do without? Just Command those stones to be made bread and just eat because it's in your power to do these things. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So he tried to question God's word and then he denied God's word. If he can get you to question it, it'll lead to denial. I'm not so sure if God really meant that or not. I'm not so sure that's what the Bible means there. And that's all it takes for somebody to just gently walk into disobedience. They will justify disobedience by questioning God's word. 
When you question God's word, make no mistake, you'll deny God's word. He said, Ye God doth know in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you will be as gods yourselves, knowing good and evil, meaning whatever you deem to be good will be good. Whatever you deem to be evil will be evil. You can make those choices for yourself. You don't need to pray. You don't need God's word or instruction. You will be as God, knowing good and evil. You won't even need God. You'll be your own God. That is the nature of fallen man. He said, ye shall not surely die. Well, we know that was a lie, don't we? It's only a short step away when once we question God's word, we begin to deny Adam nor Eve had ever seen death. All they had to go on was God's word. And that should be enough. Think about that. Adam and Eve had never seen death in the earth at all. Nothing had ever died. All they had to go on was God's word. That if you eat of this tree, you'll die. Little did they know the the consequences, the ripple effect of sin, that not only would they die, literally everything in the earth would start to die with them. Yeah. The curse of sin. That should always be enough, God's word. If God said it, then it must be so. If God said it, then I have to believe it. If God said it, it's gospel to me. Yeah. It's truth to me. I won't sin against God by denying his word. If Eve would have never allowed herself to let Satan convince her to question God's word, she would have never ended up taking the fruit off of that tree. Yeah. He denied God's word and then he replaced God's word. God does know in the day that you eat of the tree, you shall be as God. Who? God never told her that. God never said, don't eat that tree because you'll be a God unto yourself. And you'll know for yourself what's right and wrong. God never told her that because that was a lie. He replaced God's word with his own word. They were in God. They were created in his image and in his likeness. Being like God was always Satan's desire for his own self. In Isaiah 14 and 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weakest, weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Satan is a created being, a creature, but he wanted to be worshipped and served like the creator. It was that attitude that led him to rebel against God and to establish his own kingdom. He shall be as gods or like God is the one huge lie 
that has controlled civilizations since the fall of man. Man thinks he runs this world. Man thinks he knows more or better than God. Man thinks he can go without God. The earth is the Lord's yeah. and the fullness thereof. Right. Get you a Hubble telescope. But peer across the entire span of the universe. Study the anatomy of man, the mind of man. You know, the biology and the function of the human body. Study out some stem cells and, uh, you know, think you've got a, a cure to a disease. Uh, think all you want to think, but never be deceived. Uh, you are not God. You don't know as much as God, and you never will. Romans chapter 1 said their foolish hearts were darkened. And they became fools. Esteeming themselves to be wise, they became fools. And their foolish hearts were darkened and God gave them up to a reprobate mind. Satan desires to be worshipped and served. And Christ would do neither. Matthew 4 and 8, the devil taketh them up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth them all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things I will give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Satan's lie, ye shall be as God. It motivates and controls much of our civilization and all of our politics today. The only hope for a nation, uh, for any nation, would be, you know, righteousness exalted a nation. And righteousness only comes through acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That's the only righteousness uh, as far as God is concerned there is in the world. All other righteousness is as filthy rags. But sin is a reproach to any people. I'll tell you, the only hope for Washington is the only hope for my house and your house. It's the same with the White House. The only hope is full repentance and an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord and whatever his word disallows, whatever his word disapproves of, and whatever his word calls sin must be done away with and repented of or else it's only doom. Man seeks to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He's working to build his own kingdom on earth through education, psychology, religions of some kind or sort of another, most of which totally ignore Jesus Christ's sin and salvation. All it is now is, uh, all you hear now is saving the earth, you know, against global warming. We got to do all this to save the earth. There's, they're such good people. They're such, they've got such good hearts. They, they, they've got such good and pure intentions. They're playing right into the hands of the devil. How did Eve respond to Satan's strategy? Well, number one, she took away from God's word. 
In verse number two, the woman said unto the, unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Eve omitted the word freely. When you forget how good and how gracious God's been to you, you'll find it so much easier to disobey God's word. God said you may freely eat. This, All this is my gift to you. All this is my provision for you. How shall he not with him, that is with Jesus Christ, freely give us all things? Not sinful things. Not harmful things. Not deadly things. He said, see this tree over here? This represents sin and death unto you. My provision is every other tree in the garden. You can freely have it all. But this is sin and death unto you. Stay away from it. That's the one thing Satan emphasized. She took out the word freely. God said we could eat. She omitted the word freely. And when we take away from God's word and God's provision and God's grace and God's goodness and God's power, how easy it becomes to disobey. But she also added to God's word. Genesis 3 and 3, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. God didn't say that. By adding to God's word, Eve made the implication of God's word being far more strict, stringent, and grievous to bear. See, when once she believed that God was withholding something from her, then it made the word or the law so strict. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall by any means offend them. God's word and God's provision and God's law is God's goodness to me. Yes, yes. Do you know that when God said, don't touch wine, when it changes color and it's stirring in the cup, in other words, stay away from the fermented wine. Oh, God won't let me drink. You want to know why? Because God knows what drunkenness is going to do to your life. You Christian people, y'all must be miserable. You can't do anything fun. Who said getting drunk was fun? Yeah, that's right. Amen. That's right. Amen. I, I, I don't know why my mind went there, maybe studying on this thought, but I was remembering, I believe it was the day before yesterday, why my mind went back years ago. My grandpa was pastoring. What was the, uh, what was the church over in Eight Mile Mom that he pastored? Highland Road, Assembly of God. We were on our way. No, we were at church and there was all kind of commotion out there on the highway and it was disturbing the service. I mean, sirens and everything going off everywhere. And I, I remember me and somebody else, teenagers, we went outside and it was just right down the road. And so we went down the road and there was a guy that I, Went to school with Tommy Moore was his name. He was a great hired man. Tommy Moore 
was the first person I saw because I just recognized him. He was in the street and there was cop cars all around and they were on the scene working this horrific accident. Horrific. This guy was drunk, literally out of his mind. He didn't even know, he couldn't even tell you what his name was. He, they set him down in the street. His face had, he had hit the steering wheel. This was a long time ago when I was a teenager. And airbags weren't around back then. He was in an old car even for then. His nose, the bridge of his nose hit the steering wheel and he had a cut across his nose. Blood was running down his nose a little bit. But other than that, he was perfectly fine. They had him handcuffed and he was sitting in the middle of the street and he couldn't even sit up. He was just falling all over like that. Tommy was comforting. He had his hand on his back. He was telling him, you okay, man? You okay? Just, you know, just, just sit here with me. You're going to be all right. And in the other car, he was drunk and he had stepped over a, a double yellow line in a two-lane highway. He crossed over and he hit a family that was on their way to the Baptist church right down the road. He hit them head on. Their two children was in the back. They were banged up, but okay. But the dad was knocked out unconscious with multiple injuries, alive, but they were clearing out a spot to airlift him out. The mom was dead. She, she had no pulse and, and was just, I mean, busted to pieces. It was, you, you don't forget that as a teenage boy. I was eight or 10 feet from it looking at it. And they had her on the ground doing CPR on her. And they're over here. This drunk guy's over here, Tommy's comforting him. You're gonna be all right, man. You're gonna, you're gonna be all right. And I, I got so sick of hearing that. I walked over and I told Tommy, I said, won't you leave him alone? Won't you go over and tell him two kids? It's in that back seat. They were teenagers too. I said, they were looking over their mom and dad just sobbing and weeping, praying to God that they weren't dead or, or going to die. I said, go over and tell them teenage kids they're going to be all right. It ain't nothing wrong. You're comforting the wrong one. Those are the ones that need comfort. This guy don't even know what his name is. He don't even know what he's done. And brother, you don't have much compassion. I'm just telling you, Satan's lie, Satan's strategy, oh, you people can't have fun. What's fun about that? If he don't drink and get drunk, that family's in church worse than God. That, that, that mom and dad's not busted to pieces. They're going to be alive. Yeah. That's not fun. Amen. That's murder. What's so fun about destroying your brain cells and calling it a buzz? Say it. It, it's destroying your brain and your brain's becoming disoriented. Yeah. It's making your mind and your body do things that it never would do, and it's killing you. That's not fun. When Satan is defining what's fun to you, he is a liar. 
Do you want to know what is enjoyable? What is exciting? What is exhilarating? God made you emotional. Not so that a warped or degenerated or fallen mind could then relabel what is fun, exciting, or exhilarating that God said, no, that's death, Eve. But I'll tell you what is fun and exciting and exhilarating is to be in the presence of the Lord. In his presence, there's fullness of joy. It's exciting to me to hear God talk, to feel God's presence, to feel the Holy Ghost stirring in me. Sometimes uh, it'll make me clap. Uh, Sometimes it'll make me get up and run around the building. Sometimes uh, it'll cause me to jump up and down. Oh, it causes my blood pressure to rise and my heart to beat faster. Anybody that's ever been moved on by the Holy Ghost knows what I'm talking about. I've been sitting there listening to the preaching before and the Spirit of God move on me. My old heart began to just about to beat out of my chest uh, and the Holy Ghost moving on me to give out a message in tongues. Boom, 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 boom. Or to to give the interpretation of the message. Boom, 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 boom. Or, Or you just feel so much victory, so much power, so much joy. I just take off running. Kick that leg. Throw that hand in the air. Scream to the top of your lungs. Somebody does that about football because they deem that to be exciting. Somebody does that over a home run because they deem that to be exciting. Somebody does that over deer hunting or catching a bass. Uh, They deem that to be exciting. Uh, But the word of God should label unto us uh, what is joyful, what is invigorating, uh, what is jubilant. Uh, In his presence. There's fullness of joy. Somebody said, I don't know why y'all got to go to church all the time. Same reason you want to go fishing. Same reason you want to go hunting. Same reason you want to go to the ball game. Same reason. It's joy to me. It's what I love. God's word has made that exciting to me in my mind, in my heart. Romans 1 and 25, curse if you come help me, I need to quit. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Satan desires to be worshiped and to be served, but Jesus denied him both. Satan's lie was ye shall be as gods. It motivated and controlled much of their mind and all of our civilization today. How did she respond to it? Number one, she took away from God's word. Second, she added to it. By adding to it, she made the implication that God's word was too grievous to bear. But 1 John 5 and 3, this is one of my favorite scriptures. For this is the love of God. This is what tells God you love him. 
that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. You know what an obedient child does? You tell them to do something, and they do it. But son, they do it with a scowl on their face. And they do it thinking if you weren't here and if you wasn't around and if I wouldn't get tore up or grounded or punished, I'd do it. Or when I grow up and when I'm out on my own, I'll do it. They may do what you tell them to do, but it's the spirit in which they do it that reveals the heart. obedient child of God will do it because he knows God loves him. And doing it will bring his heart joy because he knows obedience pleases the Father. I'm not doing it boastful. I don't live a standard or I don't live by my convictions to be boastful or to puff myself up, but I live every day with joy in my heart knowing that if I walk in obedience, my life is pleasing yeah. unto God. Amen. Yes, thank you, Lord. She changed God's word. You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God said just this, ye shall surely die. Satan's will, or Satan will always lessen the severity and the consequence of sin. Therefore, he'll make it easier to commit the sin. Once you treat God's word in this fashion, you're wide open for the devil's final trick. He merely permitted Eve to consider the tree apart from God's word. Apart from God's word, you and I have a choice to make. Either God's word is true and it's right and it's just and it's holy and it's my governing law or Satan's suggestion. Think I'll try it out. Think I'll take a chance. See what happens. Brother C.D. Cawley was my Sunday school teacher. And years ago, he said he worked at Angel Shipyard, and there was a fellow Pentecostal preacher that worked in the shipyard with him. He pastored a church. Both of them were, you know, bivocational. They pastored the church, and they worked the job. They were friends. They worked close proximity on the job and they talked and, you know, fellowshiped and encouraged each other. He said, my friend, he didn't call his name, he said, but pastored a small church and they had raised money and bought him a, a bus. And he said they went out and witnessed and gathered up, you know, as many people as they could that needed a ride to church. 
He said it went good for a while. You know how ministry goes. People just over a while got bored with it. and There was nobody to drive the bus. So the preacher being, you know, zealous like he should be, rather than to end the bus route and people not get to come to church, he just said, well, if somebody will bring them to church, I'll take them home from church. He was married, had a few kids, and he said this one young lady had gotten saved. And he said she's attractive. This is coming from the preacher's own testimony. She's attractive. He said the way he would, he started out, he said is he would always make sure he dropped that young lady off as one of the first. Put safeguards in between him and her. He said, but the longer she rode the bus and the fewer people that would come, she sat up there next to him. And she'd talk to him and they'd, you know, laugh and giggle and she took a liking to the preacher. He was her hero. She was everything he would have loved or she would have loved to have in a man or in a husband. And so she was just very friendly with him and very complimentary of him and very loving and affectionate. And the devil started playing tricks on his mind. And he said, told Brother Collie, he said, before I knew it, instead of dropping her off first, I was dropping her off last. He said, one evening, I was getting ready to drop her off, and she said, why don't you come inside and let me fix you a cup of coffee? Let me make you a sandwich. Let's talk for a while. He said, after a couple of weeks of doing that, he said, I lost everything. Lost my wife. Lost my church. Lost my victory, my joy, my testimony. I lost it all. See, because I let what I knew to be right, true, just, and holy in my mind. I let my guard down, pushed all that aside. I said, what will it hurt? Brother Carly told me, he said, if you're going to preach the gospel, he said, never underestimate Satan's power to deceive your mind. He said, always leave those safeguards in place. Yes, your number one priority is to remain true to God's word, pure and holy and undefiled. He said, when you go to visit, he said, you knock on the door. She answers the door says, come on in, Brother Eddie. He's still at work or on his way home from work. He'll be here in about 30 minutes. Just come on in. Just come on in. He said, you tell her. No, ma'am. I got three or four other people to go visit. I'll come back a little while later after he gets home. He said, don't go in there. He said, may not anything happen if you were. He said, but all that would. 
All that would have to happen <laughs> is for her to say, you said something or you did something. Then it's her word against your word. And he said a lot of people that don't like the preacher is going to take her word for it. He said, guard your, your name, guard your testimony, and guard God's calling on your life. Yeah. You know, I've never went against that advice. Brother Eddie, I need to have a meeting with you. I had one lady that asked me, I need to have a meeting with you. I said, hold on, let me go get Sister Kim. Well, I don't want her to hear what I got to say. I said, well, if you talk to me in that office by yourself, she's going to hear it. Or my mama's going to hear it. Or somebody else is going to hear it. That ain't breaking confidence. That's just guard. Joseph Potiphar's wife caught him. He ran. Somebody said he ran from Potiphar's wife. Brother Clendenin said, no, he's running from Joseph. He knows. Joseph, you stay in there. You fix and lose it all. Yeah. You better run. Stand with me. I know messages that are dealing primarily with, with Satan and sin are not messages that we're going to shout feel like we're just having revival about but it will cause us to walk in victory we are not ignorant of Satan's devices I think if one thing I could take away from this message tonight and be in this altar is Lord don't ever let your commandment become grievous to me but let your word be my delight let your word be my joy let your word represent my victory. Would you meet me in the altar and let's pray that tonight. Hallelujah.